0: Good morning. Well, we've been talking about prayer for three weeks now, and I think we all could agree that prayer should be like breathing to the Christian. It should be part of our life. It's it's integral to our relationship with God. I want you for a second to imagine something. Imagine you have a terminal illness. You have twenty four hours to live. But there's a pill that if you take that pill, you'll stay alive. But you have to take it every 24 hours. What would be the biggest priority in your life? Would it not be taking that pill? In fact, if it was me, that'd be the first thing I'd do every morning when I got up. Prayer is the pill that keeps our relationship with God alive, thrilling, moving, Effective. I'm not saying you lose your salvation if you don't pray, but I am saying that if you don't pray, you're not in a close relationship with God. Prayer is necessary. Why would we miss it? Now, some of you might say, well, Craig, I've prayed and prayed and prayed, and my prayers are not effective. Well, we're going to address that today. We're going to talk about how God describes prayer and the kind of prayers that the Bible says are actually effective. I want to discuss how important a right relationship with God is so that we stay in a life of prayer and that a life of prayer helps us stay in a relationship with God so if you'll join me in prayer we'll talk to God and we'll dig into this Heavenly Father may your name be known by the nations may your name be renowned in Wells County May people come to hear of you and your greatness. May your name change hearts today. Lord, we pray that your spirit will be actively present, actively present. I know you're in people, but may you actually work today. Work in our message. Work in the words of Scripture. Be with us today as we share the Lord's Supper the way Your son said we should remember him. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. And it's in the name of Jesus that we gather. Amen. Now, Chad started out the series a few weeks ago, and and he asked you to make a list of things to pray for in 2016. And I know many of you are doing that. And I've heard from some of you. And then last week, Steve came up, and he talked about some of the distractions to prayer, things that get in the way. Today, I'm going to jump off of something both of them mentioned, and that's this relationship with God, how important prayer is to keep us in a relationship with God, and how it's the cornerstone of prayer. It's the cornerstone of everything. You see, Jesus often modeled prayer for his disciples, and he taught about it. Now, one of the places that he teaches about prayer is in the book of John. And he actually talks about a lot of things. And it, it's called the upper room discourse in John 14, 15, and 16. It's, it's Jesus, is about, it's on the night he's going to be betrayed. So these are kind of like his marching orders, his instructions to his disciples. Imagine that you have a loved one in your family and you're not going to see him much for a while you would give them the most important instructions that you could the words that you want to leave with them and Jesus does this in the upper room discourse one thing he talks about is he uses a metaphor a way of describing something a relationship with him and he uses a grapevine to describe it and he says that there's a vine which in the grapevine grape plant the vine is the part that takes the water and nutrition out to the branches And then on the branches are where the grapes actually develop, where the fruit is. Jesus is going to use this when he describes his relationship with us, with his disciples. So let's go to John chapter 15, beginning at verse 4. This is Jesus speaking. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch can not bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So the branch can't produce grapes if it's not connected to the vine. Jesus is the vine. They are the branches. And he goes on to say that. Jesus, I am the vine. You are the branches. With whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He's saying that that on an eternal impact, things of an eternal impact, you can't do it unless you're connected to him. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. The Jews would say that a branch on a great plant that didn't produce fruit was good for nothing but the fire. And then here's where I want to hover today, where Jesus actually talks about effective prayer. In verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Now, what's fruit? Many commentators for years would say that it's, it's converts. And I'm not saying that that's not entirely true. But fruit throughout the New Testament is often referred to in many different ways. But there's clearly a theme. And that is that fruit is the outward actions that come from the heart. They're the truth of someone. And here they're talking about having an eternal impact. They're affecting the kingdom. And this text reveals the cornerstone of ministry and relationship. It's knowing God. It's not just knowing about God, but knowing him. There's a lot of people that know about God, but they don't truly know him. They don't have a relationship with him. That comes from abiding. So what does abide mean? Most of us in our our day... Don't use the word abide very much. You know, when you came in, someone greeted you, said hi. They might have said, how's your family? No one said, how are those who abide with you? It's, it's just not something we say. So what does abide mean? Well, John uses a Greek word here to describe what Jesus said. It's the Greek word meno, which means it signifies to adhere to to be fixed in a permanent condition, to be united with. How many of you watch uh, Shark Week on the Discovery Channel? Yeah, I figured. Not very many people did in the first service either. I'm afraid they're probably going to cancel the Discovery Channel here. But nevertheless, I I like it. One time in my life, I wanted to be a marine biologist, believe that or not. And uh, I like watching Shark Week. And on Shark Week, you see sharks. And whenever you see the videos, the documentaries about sharks, there's these little fish attached to them. They're called remora, okay? Or sucker fish is another term. The remora are terrible hunters. They could probably not feed themselves at all. So what they do is they attach themselves to the shark, they go wherever the shark goes, they abide, and they basically eat the scraps from when the shark feeds. That's how they survive. If the remora becomes detached from the shark, it will generally die, unless it finds another shark to attach to. It abides. It's dependent upon the shark for its nourishment. John MacArthur from uh, Grace to You, uh, out in California, he describes abide this way, and I, I put it in your bulletin as well, this quote. The word abide basically means to remain. Every Christian remains inseparably linked to Christ in all areas of life. We depend on him for grace and power to obey. We look obediently to his word for instructions on how to live. We offer him our deepest adoration and praise, and we submit ourselves, submit ourselves to his authority over our lives. In short, Christians Gratefully know Jesus Christ is the source and sustainer of their lives. You see, abiding means it's just like the remora that that we depend on Him. We depend on Him for our life for everything. Abide means to be in a continual relationship, and relationships important. I recently had a good friend, and this is a. a a good, good friend who has poured himself into ministry for, for the last decade. And he's and, and just, he sacrificed. He sacrificed financially. He sacrificed personally. I mean, it's been hard. And he told me recently he was praying, and, and he began to recite the Lord's Prayer. And he said, you know, our Father who art in heaven. And then it hit him. I, I know you better than that. We have a relationship. I can just talk to you, God. I don't need to recite a prayer. We can talk. And as he prayed, it came to his mind that what God really wanted from him, all the years of ministry, God appreciated it. It mattered. But what he really wanted, what God really wanted from him was him, was a relationship with him. And my friend began to understand what it means to say that prayer changes us. That being in that abiding, communicating relationship has an impact. In your bulletin, I've put down some blanks. These are things that in my life, four characteristics in my life, and I also see this in scripture, that happens when we have somebody who abides. First of all, I trust God. I, I, I see him at work, and I know what he's done for me in the past. And I begin to trust him more. I hunger for obedience. I, I want to do the things that I know God wants me to do. I pray more. It's the strangest thing. The more I'm in the word, the more I spend time at work in, God's, in the places God's at work, the more I pray. And the more I pray, the more I abide. They feed off of each other like a circle. I pray, I abide, I pray, I abide. It's all one thing that keeps happening and building. And simply I have more joy. The things of this world become less important to me. The things of eternity become more important to me. You see, J.J. Packer, in, in preparing this teaching, I read a book by J.I. Packer. who um, It's called Knowing God and one of the quotes in there stood out to me he says I believe that prayer is the measure of the man spiritually in a way that nothing else is so that how we pray is as important a question as we ever will face so you say then how do I get to know God better I mean how does that happen see the problem is again you know, maybe that's hard to understand. Maybe it's hard to understand what I mean by saying to not know about God, but knowing him. Well, in my life, here, let me give you an example. Uh, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I decided to adopt a golden doodle, and this is her. <laughs> yeah, you say all. <laughs> Wait until she eats your toaster. <laughs> that's Daisy. Daisy doodle. I didn't name her. And... Daisy, you know, we read all about her. We researched her. We knew how tall she was, how much she weighed. We knew all these things about Daisy. But the truth is, we couldn't have picked her out of a group of of golden doodles. She would look just like the rest of them and and we didn't know more. So Daisy came and now she's abided with us. She's lived with us. And I know things about Daisy. I know what motivates her. For example, eating. And she does not exert an ex, uh, over amount of energy trying to do that, by the way, <laughs> or playing. She loves to drag Buster around the house. See, Daisy loves to play and loves to eat. But I, we've moved to a place where now I don't just know about Daisy, I know her. There's intimacy. If I go to the door and, and unlock the door, she'll start barking, and I'll say, it's me. And she stops because she knows my voice and I know hers. I know her and I can recognize her from any other dog. The truth is today, if I were to see her with a group of identical golden doodles, I could pick her out because I have moved from a point of knowing about her to truly knowing her, having a personal relationship with her. Now, you might say, how can I know God? God is so big. Well, the truth is you can't. You can't without help. Jesus knew that. And so in the same discourse, he tells his disciples, I'm going to send you a helper so that you will be able to know me. And that helper is called the Holy Spirit. If we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Paul writes, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us from God. We cannot understand God without the Holy Spirit. Now God doesn't give us everything, there are mysteries, but the things he does give we can understand because of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us to abide. He brings things alive. Let me give you another example. I grew up in uh, Hartford City. Uh, I grew up on the south side of Hartford City, which is the meanest part of town. Really, it is. Okay, take my word for it. But nevertheless, I grew up there. And after I moved out, my parents, they, they boxed up some of my stuff and left it on the porch. And so I was looking at this box in 2000, and I took out of it a Bible that had been given to me as a gift when I was nine or ten years old. It was given to me by my piano teacher. Now, you've never seen me play this, have you? Okay, eh? There's a reason. <laughs> I flunked out of piano lessons. My piano teacher said to my parents, listen, I would rather give you money for him to not come than take your money and continue to endure this. <laughs> But she was a kind lady, and so she gave me a Bible. And uh, it was a large print Bible. And I, I found this in 2000. I took it out of the box. And it was the New Testament, good news for modern man. And I read it from Matthew all the way to Revelation. It had no impact at all on my life. It was head knowledge. I could answer questions about the Bible, but it didn't come alive. It wasn't in me. In 2002, I'm going through a crisis in my life and I take out another Bible because I'm trying to find fault with some people. And I take out this Bible and I look up in the index, love. It takes me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and I begin to live or read what uh, uh, Paul says about love. And it says, you know, love is patient, it's kind, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I read through that And it hit me. I don't love that way. And so I thought I must have read it wrong. And so I read it again. That's called conviction. That's the Holy Spirit at work telling me that I needed a Savior. And I continued to read. The, the words came alive. When I would read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, be anxious about nothing. It was like Jesus was talking to me. He was saying, Craig, don't be anxious about things. I'm going to get you through it. It's going to be okay. And so it, it suddenly changed. The words of the Bible changed. And, and I surrendered. I, I realized that I could, if I kept going the way I was, I was just going to mess life up, that I needed a Savior, I needed a Lord, I needed a better way to live and I gave up control and I surrendered and I started to pray I I used to sit on the side of my bed and and I opened the curtains and I'd look out at the sky and I would pray to the stars to God talking to him and and my cat would come in at the time I had a cat named Arthur and Arthur would jump up on the bed and and he thought at first I was talking to him you know and he look at me and then he, he he realized I was looking out at at the window, and he'd look at the window, and then he'd look at me, and he said, there's nobody there, you know, and then he'd get kind of freaked out, and he'd tinkle on the bed. <laughs> so I decided to quit freaking my cat out, and I, I actually started coming in here early in the morning before i go to work, and I, I'd come in right here, and, and I would pray, and I would ask God to do things, big things. I asked him one time, I remember asking for a while that that Life Church would baptize a hundred people that year and they did we did and then uh, another time I prayed that God would make a way that that I could continue my education and go back to to college and and learn more about him but I couldn't figure out how I was going to do that and a college program came here I saw God doing amazing things my trust increased and then just like Steve talked about last week life got kinda busy and I stopped doing that. And for a while, I started to actually feel a little depressed. And I wondered what was going on until I realized I missed him. I missed that time we spent in relationship. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brought the words alive of the Bible. It brought my relationship alive. I needed that help to have that relationship with god prayer is fellowship time with god now let's return to what jesus says back to to john chapter 15 verse 7 if you abide in me so you live with me in me you talk etc. and my words abide in you that's important that seems kind of odd and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you notice that this verse has two parts and that's pretty often seen in scripture we see an if and a then we see an if condition and a then promise so here's what it's saying if you abide in me and my words abide in you that's the condition then ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you the promise you see too often we think that that Jesus' words don't need to abide. By abiding, they have to have effect. We have to hear and respond to them as living words. In the year 2000, when I read that good news for modern man, had no effect. The words were not alive. But in 2002, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, those words came to life and they mattered. We cannot say that Jesus' words abiding exclude his opinions abiding. You see, when Jesus abides, his words abide. When Jesus abides, his authoritative views on our life abide. When Jesus abides, his principles abide. It has to be in there. The words have to matter. Some believe they don't, but they do. You see, it's key that your life changes when you accept Christ as your Savior. You see that's the condition and that's important. People respond to the word of God. Everyone responds. In the Bible, in our lives, we see it. Some people hear the words of God or read the words of God and they believe and they have faith. Others reject and do not believe. Some have obedience, some have disobedience, and the way God responds to our prayers matters on us. It matters whether we have those words abiding in us, if we have belief, and we see it throughout Scripture. Let's just look at a few pieces of Scripture that says that. John 9 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. God does not receive the prayer if you, if you don't believe in him. Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. 1 John 3, puts it all together. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of Christ his son Jesus Christ, believe and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. James writes, The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective so clearly we can say this that God's reception of prayer is not the same for everyone That when someone has faith and obedience God will receive that prayer and answer it that if someone does not believe does not repent does not turn and is not obedient God will not receive that prayer. And he makes no promise that he will answer it. God's reception of prayer is different. Now, the Bible indicates you should not expect an answer if you're living in disobedience or you don't believe. Clearly, faith and obedience matter to God when we pray. So, You might ask, Craig, are you saying if I have faith and obedience, I can ask whatever I wish and poof, there's a Ferrari in the driveway? (laughs) Well, no, I'm not saying that. God still gets to be God. God still gets the answer. And Charles Stanley puts it well. He says that God answers four ways. One, he can say yes. Two, he can say no. Three, he can say, wait. And four, he can say, my grace is sufficient. You have the best thing you're going to need, and that's me. And that's important because it's hard when people are suffering. They think God doesn't care. The Apostle Paul says that he had a thorn in his side. We don't, that's debated what that is, but it's something that's physically bothering him. And. He asked God to take it away. And God says, my grace is sufficient. Now, Paul had a right relationship with God. Obviously, he believed. Obviously, he was obedient unto death. And yet, God said, my grace is enough. And Paul began to understand that he had that deferment for God's glory, that he was to show God's power through that. Jesus himself prays in the garden, take this cup of suffering away from me if there's any other way. And the Father says, there's no other way. But in both cases, we know that God hears their prayer, receives it, and answers. I don't know about you, but I want God to hear my prayers. I want him to receive my prayers. And even if his answer is, my grace is sufficient, It is an answer. I want to be in a relationship with him. It's key to my life. What does that relationship look like? Well, I said a right relationship. A right relationship is connected to somebody who has a heart that's right with God. Somebody who is a Christian who abides, stays in connection with God, believes, has faith, is obedient, forgives others embraces God's motives, confesses their sin, and seeks the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, Chad asked you to make a list of things to pray for. And, I, and whatever you're praying for is fine. Jesus said, ask, ask God for your daily bread. But, but there are things you need to consider about doing, some next steps. These are in your bulletin. Some things that, that matter that go along with that prayer. First of all, get right with God. If you don't have a right relationship with God, then again, is He hearing? Is He receiving your prayers? Second, pray God's will. Hey, what would happen if 400 adults at Life Church began to ask God to use us? To reach 300,000 people who have never heard the gospel, have never heard about Him. You say, Well, we can't do that. You're right. That would prove that God did it. Keep praying, pray without ceasing. You know, Uh, The other day, my wife and I, we were driving down one and she was in the left lane and she started to pull into the right lane and and suddenly a car came up beside us and she almost hit him and she pulled back over and out of her mouth, the first thing was, thank you, God. The other day, I was reading uh, uh, for this uh, message and, and, and there's a theologian that I just really enjoy his work. He's just a very reasonable man. Even with people that disagree with him. And, and I've listened to his classes on, on, on uh, my iPod. And, and I've read his books. And as I was researching, uh, I saw his name. And I, I clicked on it. And it was an announcement that in December he had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And I immediately went to prayer for him. Pray without ceasing. And then believe God will answer. He's still God. He still gets to choose. He is still in control of the universe. But believe he will answer. Yes, no, wait. My grace is sufficient. See, I believe that Jesus is calling you to a relationship. To much, much more than we have. Like my friend said, he wants you he wants to be in a relationship with you. And prayer is that communication part. Well, the creator of the universe wants to be in relationship with us. Why would you miss that? If there was a pill that kept your relationship right with God, that, that kept you in a communication with God, and you took it every day and you could stay close to the, communi- to, to the creator of the universe, wouldn't you take it? And there is a pill. It's called Prayer. So we're encouraging you to pray. I'm saying you need to pray. I'm saying if you want a bigger relationship with God. I do. Don't you? We're going to close today by sharing the Lord's Supper communion. My wife and I, we have to set aside times to make sure our relationship stays strong. Because we're both so busy. Jesus, before he left... He gave His disciples a way of remembering Him. It's called the Lord's Supper. And we're going to share that today. We've got tables down here in the front and in the back. And I'm going to read to you what Paul teaches about making a right relationship with God when you do this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, That on the cross, Christ's blood was poured out for our sin. That his body was scourged and broken up by the whip for our sin. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. These tables proclaim the gospel that we are sinners. Incapable of saving ourselves. That Christ went to the cross as a substitute for us, for the debt we owed God. And he died for you. And when you take the bread and take the cup, take the juice, it reminds you of the high price of our sin. And Paul goes on to write, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body of the Lord. This is an uncommon thing. Do not make it a common thing. Do not make this a rote ritual that you just go through. This matters. This matters because when you do it, you are to be remembering Jesus and remembering what he did for you. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. We need to understand what this means. This means that you believe when you do this. This is a family thing. This is for God's family, for the family of believers. If you don't believe, you should hold back. You should not come. For this is for believers. If you do believe, if you're visiting from another congregation and you're in good standing at that congregation, feel free to join us. If you believe, this is for you. If you don't believe, you should hold back. But you heard the gospel today that you cannot go to heaven. You cannot go to heaven without Jesus. And if today you felt for the first time your eyes were opened, your heart was open, and Jesus spoke to you, the Holy Spirit began to work, and you say, I surrender. I need to turn from my life. Then you're responding today one way or another. You're either choosing to join the family of God, or you're choosing to continue to rebel. But you're choosing. No one can hear the words of God without responding. Some respond in belief, some in unbelief, some in obedience, some in disobedience. If you today believe that God's speaking to you, as we take communion, I'm going to be down here, and you come down and talk to me. I'm going to ask you some questions to see if God's at work. And if he's at work, I'm going to have you pray. And if you join the family of God today, then I'll serve you your first communion as part of our family. So I'm going to pray. The band's going to come out and they're going to play some music. When you're ready, you can come down. If you're the first one to the table, you can take the cellophane off of the bread or break off a piece of the bread, take a cup and remember, remember that you could not go to heaven without Jesus and that this reminds you of his suffering. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, I thank you that you made a way. I thank you that we can remember the suffering of your son as we join together as part of the family of God and and we celebrate this supper, that we also, in this meal, that it proclaims the gospel. It speaks of your love for us. Lord, I thank you that you gave us this meal. Let us examine ourselves, and wherever there's something in our life that's not right, that's keeping us from a right relationship with you, help us to turn from that, to agree with you that you are God, you are right, and we need to serve you and love you and obey you. Lord, as we come, just be in this moment. A thank you. A thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we participate together here today. Amen.